You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Good morning, everybody. Like you said, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here, if you didn't know. And uh, it's, it's uh, great to see all you guys here when it's uh, the day after uh, it suddenly gets really cold again. You always wonder, like, are people going to show up to church? But you guys all did, so give yourself a round of applause for that. I, you know, it just says how much uh, you guys are committed to this body, and uh, that's, that's really encouraging for me. Um, so today we're going to be continuing our sermon series on the parables of the kingdom of God. And uh, on that subject, James Montgomery Boyce, and I always feel like I have to say that with an English accent, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, even though I think he's from Philadelphia. But um, it just sounds right. Um, but he said this about the, the parables. He said, some sections of the Bible give us grand theology. Some move us to grateful responses to God. But the parables ask us if there has been any real difference in our lives. And uh, I think that the parables I've been doing that as we've been going through them. Uh, and today is definitely one of those types of parables. So hold on to your seats. It's going to be good. Open your hearts. Uh, but before we do get into it, I want to visit uh, a well-known but often neglected friend of the Bible. And uh, his name is Context. Uh, because in order to fully understand this parable... Uh, it's, it's important for us to have a, a picture of what's going on at the time Jesus tells it. So before we get into the parable, I'm going to do a little mini sermon here uh, about the context. So here's the context. Matthew 24, verse 3. This is what happens before he tells the parable. It says, Now while Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? When will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So they're asking about a subject we like to call the end times or eschatology. Uh, and it's on their mind because Jesus, he's been teaching them this throughout his, his ministry. And um, in fact, he, when he taught his disciples to pray, right, the first petition was for God's name to be hallowed, to, to be kept holy. Uh, and the second petition was to pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. To pray for the fullness of the kingdom. Because right now, we know it, but we only know it in part through Jesus, right? But when Jesus returns, we'll experience it in full. And this is a significant part of our hope as Christians, as citizens of the kingdom of God. When Jesus returns in glory for his church, when he comes to crush Satan and sin and death and sadness once and for all, when he comes to make all things new, uh, when he comes to raise us up with him in resurrection life and the presence of God. So this is exciting stuff. So it's not surprising that the disciples would ask Jesus, you know, when can we expect this to happen? When, when are you going to come to make this happen? Uh, and in fact, this isn't the only time they ask, right? Because even though they don't fully grasp it, they're looking forward to it. And we can say the same thing. We, we definitely don't fully grasp this, but hopefully we're, we're looking forward to it as Christians. And, and uh, while Jesus does, he answers their question, he does tell them some signs to watch for in order to give them kind of an idea of, of a season that he's going to be returning. The underlining theme, though, of Jesus' answer to his disciples is that, yes, he is coming, but that we don't know and won't know the exact moment he will until he does. He says it himself, Matthew 24, 36 to 42, it says, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. 
as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken and one left. One will be grinding grain with a handmill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. So here's the context. Jesus is coming. He's coming in victory. He's coming in righteousness. The message for us is to be alert, to be ready, to be prepared, because we don't know what day or hour it'll be, right? We'll, we'll be living our lives. We'll be eating and drinking and you know, having weddings and all that kind of stuff that we do as humans, right? But then like a thief in the night, he'll arrive. And here's the question for all of us that we're going to be asking today. When he does arrive, when he does come again, what state will he find each of us in? When he comes, will we be ready, spiritually speaking, to go with him. So with that context and that warning in mind, Jesus tells his disciples what the kingdom of God will be like on that day. And this is our parable, Matthew 25, 1 to 13. Matthew 25, 1 to 13. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Hey, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, that it is living and active. Jesus, I thank you for your parables and um, how much depth that's in them, Lord God. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would give us open hearts to receive uh, their meaning, Lord God, and that, that it would change us and it would point us and it would encourage us in our, our, our uh, walk with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was at uh, Mastermind Toys, a toy store on the north side, I was with my boys this week. Um, I told them, yeah, okay, fine, we can go look, but I'm not buying you anything. Still, when they see all these toys, the excitement at the prospect of, of seeing, seeing all of them and own, possibly owning them, you know, it, it makes it impossible for them not to ask me, or at least, you know, they grab boxes off the shelf to just show me how cool this stuff is in the hopes that I'll see their joy, and then in the, the softness and kindness of my heart, I'll buy them that $240 Lego set. I didn't. It's not going to happen. Anyways, we're at the store. I'm trying to keep track of both of my kids as they're running around the store and trying to show me stuff and yelling things out. And suddenly, my youngest son, he's six years old, he yells out at me from, the, from a couple aisles over, 
loud enough for the whole store to hear, of course. He says, Dad, check out these virgins. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You know, like my eyes are just like wide in shock and embarrassment. I'm, I'm sure I turned red as I caught the disgusted and surprised looks of all the other patrons in the store. Is he your son? Right? You know, or, or maybe it's just my own imagination just thinking, you know, oh man, I hope nobody knows I'm a pastor. Right? Uh, but either way, I'm completely caught off guard by this. You know, why would my son be yelling about virgins? Um, and then it dawned on me in his cute little voice. He definitely said virgins, but what he meant was versions. He's talking about a version of some toy or something. Um, <sighs> but the damage was done. I, I don't know about you, but before I actually learned about this parable that we just read this morning, I'd, I'd kind of get off, caught off guard in the same way. You know, reading through it, thinking, you know, why is Jesus talking about all these virgins? And, and why are there ten? And, and why are they carrying lamps? And, and why are these virgins waiting after dark to go to a party with a groom? Right? You think about that? You have to admit, from our cultural point of view, it seems like a sketchy situation. Uh, maybe an unholy type of Vegas bachelor party type of situation. But have no fear. Get your minds out of the gutter. Nothing sketchy is going on here. Because from their cultural perspective, what Jesus is describing is actually quite normal and very kosher for them. Okay, this isn't a bachelor party, but it is the beginning of a wedding ceremony. So that's what's going on. But still, what's with all the virgins, right? Well, easily explained, fortunately. In fact, some modern biblical translations have started to interpret that word as bridesmaids. Because in this setting, that's what they are. Uh, In those days, bridesmaids weren't necessarily the friends of the bride, but rather it was customary for the bridesmaids to be young, unmarried uh, ladies that were either from the family or from the town or village that they were having the wedding. So while it says virgins, for us, a better translation might be bridesmaids. So hopefully that makes sense to you. Following? Cool. But why are they carrying lamps? That's another weird one. This is also easily explained when we have our context, right? And on the eve before the wedding day, this is what they would do after sunset. Part of the tradition was to kick off the pre-wedding celebrations with a processional throughout the streets of the town. And it was the bridesmaids' responsibility to each carry a lantern, which was fueled by oil in those days. And, And these would light the way as they joyfully walked with the groom and his friends to the wedding feast where he'd meet his bride and all the fun stuff would go down, right? And I'm kind of jealous of this when I was reading through this and finding this out because I never got a parade when I got married. Uh, I just hid in the basement with, with, uh, you know, my friends in the basement of a church until the ceremony started. And then when it started, everyone was just paying attention to Audrey. Uh, And I'm not sure if people even knew I was there. I I think we should bring this tradition back where we marched the groom throughout town and like, hey, check out this groom. I'm all for it. But enough about me, um, because now that we have a grasp of what's going on in Jesus' parable, hopefully, this is just a regular, customary Hebrew wedding tradition, this tells us two things right off the bat. Right? First, the bridesmaids would have known what was going on. They know what to expect. Right? They obviously didn't necessarily know the exact moment the groom was going to arrive, but they knew that he was coming that evening. They knew that the wedding was coming. So there's no reason for them to be caught off guard. Second, then, this means that they knew what they needed to do to be prepared. 
There's no excuse here. Again, they knew that they were going to have to be walking in the night. As D.A. Carson notes, those without a torch would be assumed to be party crashers or brigands, right? And it's pitch dark. You don't know who people are if they don't have a lamp. You think, oh, if they don't have a lamp, they must not be part of the wedding party. Get out of here, right? I can't trust people in the dark back then. So again, Jesus is using this normal cultural event, this is what he does in his parables, right, to give the disciples and us now a picture of what the kingdom of God will be like on the day he returns. He says it'll be like the eve of a wedding feast, a procession to the first party in the, the kingdom of God. And we know it's coming, so we should have no excuse. And this isn't the first time that he uses this analogy of a wedding, right? In fact, Jesus' return for the church is often symbolized throughout Scripture as a groom, Jesus picking up his bride, the church, for a wedding. In this case, it seems it's the bridesmaids that represent those that are waiting for him. In other words, the church. So again, the message is clear. Jesus is coming, so be ready. It's not that complicated, right? We make it complicated, though, don't we? We make everything complicated. And it, anyways, <laughs> I don't know if any of you were affected by this over the holidays, but for some reason, parts of Lethbridge kept getting hit with power outages. Anyone hit, hit by those? Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of annoying, right? Um, And I bring that up because while we all know that power outages uh, are a possibility when you live in a city, they do happen. Uh, We can never really anticipate when they're going to happen, can we? We don't don't know those things. We especially don't expect it to happen when we're chilling in the evening, uh, you know, you know, watching our TVs on our computers, popping popcorn in the microwave, you know, relaxing to the hum and warmth of our heaters, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like click. And everything's, everything's black. It's just darkness. It's crazy when that happens. And so, of course, one of the first things we do then is we'll sort of dig around in the darkness and, and, and try to find our flashlights or whatever. And it's at that point, well, this is my experience anyways, whenever this happens, is that I realize that I didn't actually put fresh batteries in my flashlight. And um, I meant to buy some, right? But, of course, I didn't. I meant to buy some for like six months, and I didn't. And I don't want to use my phone light because I don't know how, how much time the power is going to be out for. So I don't want my phone to die. So just standing in the darkness, right? No flashlight. And now I've got to go find some candles. I don't know where they are. We've all been there, right? Come on, let's be honest. What I'm saying, or maybe it's just me, I don't know. But maybe what I'm saying is it's surprising moments like that that often catch me and, and us off guard, Right? Things we should have been prepared for, but instead we find ourselves fumbling around in the darkness. Wisdom would have reminded me to, to be ready for something like that, just in case. But alas, I'm often caught playing the fool, I'll be honest. And my point is that we don't often realize how unprepared we are or how long we've been putting something off until the moment that it's too late. When hindsight gives us a good kick in the coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? And this is the case for the five foolish bridesmaids. The groom finally shows up after being delayed, and then all of a sudden it's too late. They realize they're not ready. They have no oil left for their lamps because they didn't bring any. They had one job. One job. I mean, come on. 
get it together, right? That's, that's, that's what we're thinking when we're reading that. It's like in high school for the mathematics final exam. There's always that one dude that, that shows up without a calculator and a pencil, right? Like, what is he thinking? This is his education. His, his future's on the line here. And besides, he's writing an exam. Writing requires a writing utensil, just as lamps require fuel. There's no reason, there's no excuse, they, but they simply weren't prepared. And of course they miss out, right? Not only in the processional, but they also miss the wedding party itself. The processional was their ticket inside the party, but they missed it. Doors were closed after that. All because they forgot a little bit of oil. Fools. Fools, right? That's what we're all thinking when we read that. Those foolish bridesmaids. But I guess before we make any judgments, we should probably look in the mirror first. Because part of the point of this parable is to ask ourselves, am I actually prepared for when Jesus comes again? Which of the bridesmaids am I in this story? And remember, Jesus isn't talking to the crowds here. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. So this is a message for his followers, for us, the church. And he's saying, are we ready? Are we for real? Are we awake? Like if he came right now at this very second, or even more pressing, and I don't want to sound overdramatic, but what if, what if we slip on the ice as we're walking outside and, and, and we hit our head and we die? I hope that doesn't happen. But what if it does? Will Jesus find us waiting and looking to him in faith? And by waiting, I mean following him in obedience and in worship. Will he find us with oil in our lamps? with his light in us shining before all men? Those are all good questions that we need to ask ourselves honestly. So before we point the finger or imagine ourselves to be more like the wise bridesmaids in the story, let's grab some humility, maybe a little dose of sober self-reflection as we figure out why these five foolish bridesmaids weren't ready And then maybe we might even find some similarities in ourselves and we can ask Jesus to remove those things and to renew us. So why weren't they prepared? Why didn't they have oil with them? I have four points to go through. So first of all, maybe they thought they had more time. You know, maybe they planned on getting some oil later or something. Verse 5 says, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Did anyone here find themselves shopping for Christmas presents like a week before Christmas? Come on, be honest. Yeah, there's one. Come on, come on. Come on, we're all in this together. Yeah. It's amazing how Christmas seems to take forever to get here, right? And then all of a sudden, it's tomorrow and you're not ready. It's crazy. Christmas is the only thing that's like that. But, you know, time is weird like that. 
catches this off guard. And in the story, the, bri- the bridegroom seems to be taking longer than expected. He's delayed. So it's natural in that situation for them to start feeling less rushed, less urgent. Maybe they're thinking that they'll have lots of time to get oil later or that maybe they'll have time after the groom arrives even. Uh, but they don't. And unfortunately, as it often happens when we think we have lots of time, when we think there's no rush, what do we do? We end up wasting it. We get distracted or we get apathetic or lazy or we procrastinate. That's, that's me. Or we just lose track of time in general. And that's what they did. They, they fell asleep. They lost track of the time they had. Proverbs 19.15 says it best. The slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. So they seemingly had all the time in the world, and as a result, they just became slothful, they fell asleep, they became idle, and they paid for it, right? They, they missed the groom's arrival because they had to run out in, into the night to buy more oil, which is an impossible task, right? No shops are open that late. They're not even open that late in Lethbridge, right, 2,000 years later. So they, def- they definitely wouldn't be open then, right? They, so they just end up wandering around in the darkness. And again, that's a warning for us spiritually. It seems like Jesus is delaying his promise to come, but he's not. So don't miss it. Don't get caught wandering around in the darkness. Second Peter 3, 9-10 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So first of all, Jesus isn't being slow. It may seem like it sometimes, but he is, in fact, waiting for us. He's being patient for us, giving us time to get ready. He's giving us time and grace and more than enough of both to come to repentance before he shows up. But like it says, it won't wait forever. And when he comes, he comes like a thief. Heaven and earth will pass away. Everything will be exposed. That'll be that. So if you're out there this morning and you know maybe you're you're sitting on the fence about your faith, sitting on the fence about giving your life to Jesus, maybe even sitting on the fence about sharing your faith with your friends and family. Let this be a warning. We don't have as much time as we think. With that being said though, we do, however, always have the time we need to respond to the gospel. So that when he does come, we're without excuse. So let's use the time we have. Those bridesmaids, they had more than enough time to be prepared. They knew what to expect, right? They had even more time than they thought. The groom was delayed. But they wasted it in their lack of urgency. In contrast to that, when when we read through the New Testament, we find that the apostles and the people in the early church, they lived with an urgency, with the belief that Jesus was coming at any time. They lived like the end of the age was imminent, and they desired that as many people would know about Jesus before that day came, and they also desired that they would be found by Jesus as, as like the five wise bridemaids were, right? Prepared, ready, living faithfully for him. 
And this is how we're called to live as Christians, with joyful and urgent expectancy for Christ's return. Because if we believe he's coming, then we'll live like it. It'll shape our lives. It'll shape our decisions and our choices and our priorities. So that's the first point. Another, number two, another reason they, they weren't prepared is maybe because they thought that they were. From a distance or at first glance, those ten bridesmaids, they all looked ready to go. They were probably all dressed up in their attire, right? They had their lamps with them. They were all waiting at the right place. But the truth is five were prepared with with oil to last the night. Five weren't. Five were legit. Five were counterfeit. And this is a picture of those in, in the church. I'm not talking about just our church, the church in general. Because the truth is that some people in the church have truly surrendered to Christ. And then some are just caught up playing their religious game. Putting on a show. They look legit on the outside, but inside, where it matters, they aren't. But we can't judge one another in this, okay? can't be like, oh yeah, I was looking at Bob the other day. Pretty sure he isn't. Right? That's not... We, we can only look, search our own hearts. Are we truly following Jesus? Or are we just putting on a face each Sunday morning? Is this real for us? Is our relationship with the Lord tangible? Have we repented of our sin? Or are we just going with the motions? Just doing the right things. All the things that a, that, a, that a legit Christian would do, but not out of a response to grace, but just so that it looks like we're legit. Just impressing others, maybe, or, or, or trying to convince ourselves or even God of our self-righteousness. But in our hearts, we're not truly saved. We can only search our own hearts in that. And this is the lesson here as well, that only Jesus can prepare our hearts for that day. Only Jesus can make our hearts new. Because it's Jesus' grace, it's his bloodshed for us that fuels our soul like oil to lamps. Not our works of what we do, but what he did for us at the cross. And think of this, when, when the groom refuses to let the foolish bridesmaids into the party because he doesn't recognize them from the procession, he says to them, I don't know you. And it's very reminiscent of what he says in the Sermon, of the Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount to those Pharisees and false prophets, right? Matthew seven twenty one to 23, he says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. On the judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? Then I'll tell them, I've never known you. Get away from me, you people who do wrong. That's a sobering thought, right? We might look the part. We might act the part. But that doesn't get us a ticket. The only way we can be saved, the only way we can be prepared when Jesus comes is to believe and trust in the one who perfectly accomplished the will of the Father, and that's Jesus himself. And so that's, number, that's the second point. We might think we're prepared. 
but are we? Which brings us to number three. Another reason that they weren't prepared is they thought they could mooch oil off of someone else. So let's go back to the teenager without his pencil at the math final. What's he going to do? What's his only option, right? He's going to ask to borrow your pencil. And what are you going to say to him? Absolutely not, right? Because you need your pencil to write your final or else you'll fail. So while it might seem rude at first that the other bridesmaids didn't lend out their oil, their reasoning was legit. They needed their oil or they would have all been walking in the darkness before they arrived at their destination. But what does that mean for us? It means that we can't mooch our salvation off of someone else's. It means that we're not saved by association. And, you know, many people think that they're good to go and that they're, they're, they're heading for heaven because they were born into a Christian family or because they're married to a Christian or because they live in a predominantly Christian country, America, or because they were baptized, you know, or because they were baptized or dedicated as a baby, right? That dedication didn't save Mackenzie. And while we are saved into the body of Christ... Salvation is a personal experience based on your own individual faith and no one else's. You can't borrow it and you can't give it to someone else. That's between you and Jesus. So if you've been living in this false sense of security, there's no better time than now to make it your own. Because like we've been saying, we don't know how much time we have. Confess and believe in the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. You will be prepared for when he comes. And that brings us to point number four. And I'll be honest that at this point, I'm kind of making assumptions here, but it's still an important idea that I want to bring out. And that's maybe they weren't prepared because they had lost hope in the idea that the groom was coming at all. Maybe they lost hope in the idea that the groom was coming at all. Second Peter 3, 3-4 to says this, Above all, understand this. In the last days, blatant scoffers will come, being propelled by their own evil urges and saying, where is his promised return? For ever since our ancestors died, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. And let's be honest, you know, sometimes it's easy to give in to the scoffers and maybe have these thoughts ourselves. Tina was confessing this morning, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but she's confessing this morning that you know, looking at the world and the state of the world and, you know, all the violence and all the things that are going on. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's depressing. And it's easy to start thinking, you know, in, in, this, in the state of the world and, and, and with people making fun of us for believing this, you know, to start to doubt and to wonder, you know, is Jesus even coming at all? And there's certainly grace for our seasons of doubt. But eventually... Jesus is reminding us here, eventually we have to pick a road, the narrow or the wide. Because if we don't, you know, doubt has the ability to paralyze us from doing or believing anything at all. It can cause us to grow weary in believing anything at all, just give up. And then suddenly we run out of time before we've even decided what to believe. And the fact of the matter is, when we look at the story, it wasn't just the foolish bridesmaids that fell asleep, right? They all did. They all grew weary 
and wondering when the groom was going to come. They all grew tired of waiting. And then they were all woken up in, in surprise when the groom showed up. And it happens to all of us. We all go through those seasons. But on, this, on that note, this is, in a way, an encouragement for us to not give up hope, to not give up waiting, to faithfully stay awake and remain watchful because Jesus' return is on the horizon. He is coming soon. Because, yeah, his delay makes it hard not to doubt sometimes. But again, he's not delaying. He's patiently waiting for us to be ready. He's patiently waiting for all to come to repentance. Which means this is a reminder that our faith is not in vain. He will come. So trust him. Trust in his timing. And with all that being said, then as we wait for that day, we, we we have two choices. There's two choices, wisdom or foolishness. Ephesians 5, 13 to 17 says this. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wisdom from God reminds us to prepare our hearts for what's coming, to surrender to Jesus, to his grace, to be found making the best use of our time by living out our lives for his glory and in his light, bearing fruit, walking in righteousness, serving others, proclaiming his gospel, loving our neighbors, growing in his word. And don't get me wrong, he's not expecting perfection from us when he comes. Because only he's perfect. But he's expecting people of faith. He's coming for those who truly follow him. He's coming for those who are truly saved by his grace and are proving it. Our other option, we take our chances, see what happens, live our lives the way we want, maybe convince ourselves that we're headed to heaven because we're good people and we just hope that works. It won't. Maybe hope that on our deathbed or in that moment before Jesus comes again, we'll be cognitive enough to ask for forgiveness. Maybe run out and quickly find some oil. But if we've learned anything from this story, that's not the way it works. As Jesus says in verse 13, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We have lots of time now. This is our time now. As it says in Hebrews, Don't harden your hearts as in the days of the rebellion. That's what I'm choosing. I'm, I'm choosing to bring my oil and wait with anticipation for Jesus' return. I'm choosing to ignore those who laugh at the prospect of Jesus coming again. I choose to surrender my life to Jesus until he comes. And will I mess up? Probably. Will I live this life out perfectly? Yes. No. No, I won't. But there's grace for that. He's quick to forgive. That's not the point. 
He's calling us to run this race as best we can by his grace so that when he comes on that day, we won't be found spiritually asleep, but rather alive in him, ready, prepared, waiting with anticipation and praying fervently in the spirit for his kingdom to come to on earth as it is in heaven. And I choose that not because I'm afraid of being left behind. You know, in the 90s, that was a big thing. Don't get left behind, right? I'm not afraid of being left behind. I don't want to miss out on Jesus. I don't want to miss out on this wedding party. When the kingdom is established. And I don't want any of you to miss it either. In fact, in another parable, Jesus gives us a picture of what that wedding feast will be like. And it's, it's, it's incredible what happens. What we find is that Jesus not only blesses the faithful, those that are waiting for him, but that even though he's the groom, he's the one who should be worshipped and, and celebrated and served. Instead, at this wedding feast, what happens is that he's the one who takes the place of a servant again. And it's the servants, his church, that get to recline at the table so I'm going to end with this passage this morning. Luke 12, 37 to 38. This is what we have to look forward to when Jesus returns. It says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes for the wedding feast. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. My prayer is that Jesus would find each of us awake when he comes again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, that he took our place on the cross so that we could find forgiveness of sin, so that we could be reconciled to you, so that we could know you, so that we could live as citizens of your kingdom, Lord God. And I thank you for the constant reminder in your word that though we only know the kingdom in part now, that we will, that we will know it in full when Jesus returns in glory as the King of kings and Lord of lords. When he comes to defeat sin and death for good. When he comes to crush Satan for good. When there'll be no more tears, no more sadness, no more heartache, but life, resurrection, life. In your presence, Lord. We thank you that we have that to look forward to. And I pray that, that as we wait, Lord, we won't grow idle. But that we would wait with expectant hearts for your return. And that waiting would shape our lives to, to live for you. To proclaim your gospel to those who don't know it. Lord, I pray that we would not waste the time that you've given us. So that when you come, we will be ready. Lord, wake us up. For those that are sleeping, wake us up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.